that age, the girls want to be with the girls, the boys want to be with the boys, you know, and they kind of are even suspicious of each other. Ah, you don't want to, you know, we don't want the girls coming to our party and stuff. That's normal, that's natural. And to introduce this kind of material at that age is, Frankly, it's child abuse. Hey everybody, welcome to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. A show where we share our journey of what the Lord has called us to in this season of life. Mark and I started a 501c3 nonprofit filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, to create movies, books, podcasts, and more for churches, organizations, or individuals to use to educate, motivate, and inspire others to get involved in the tough topics affecting our society and to take a stand for biblical values. We're a husband and wife filmmaking team who believes the Bible is the infallible, inherent word of God, and we're on a mission to share that truth. Thank you for joining us on this journey. I'm your co-host, Amber Archer, and with me, as always, is my husband, award-winning filmmaker, author, and speaker, Mark Archer. Happy to be here again. Thank you for inviting me to my desk. (laughs) Right? Welcome to my show, where I get to ask the questions. Oh, really? <laughs> no, just kidding. Okay, Your so, show. Right. So what are we talking about today? Well, today we are talking with Maris Bentley, mm-hmm. who we also met in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So the last episode, you got to meet a gentleman by the name of Mark Bonkowitz, who was a co-founder with Maris mm-hmm. of Nebraskans for Founders Values. And they are leading the charge right now to try to get their state's obscenity exemptions overturned. If you've been following us for any amount of time, you know that we've had a couple of different podcasts with Rhonda Miller from Indiana, where we are. Mm -hmm. And she was just recently at the Indiana State House, and they were trying to get the obscenity exemptions repealed, which it ultimately failed. But mysteriously in the middle of the night. Right. Um, But the Senator vowed to bring it back next year, so I'm excited to see this fight continue because Mm -hmm. it's really important. It's pretty amazing how uh, quickly the wicked descend upon this when Mm -hmm. it when it goes in, um, and the the testimonies start, and how uh, and I think going back to the earlier conversation we had with former Indiana state legislator. Uh, Christy Stutzman, and she pointed out that, and and I I have to give her credit for this because it was a it was a moment for me when I realized you know we do put a lot of expectation on legislators mm-hmm. to understand all of these things, right? And the truth is they can't possibly they can't possibly on everything them. that's brought before them. You can't be an expert on all things, right? And any of them that that try to present that image are lying. Mm-hmm. They, they can't be experts on everything. And that's, oh, but that's why the lobbyists. Oh yeah. That's are why there. The, and yeah. And it's in- interesting when we were in Nebraska and I was filming the, uh, the testimonies for repealing their obscenity exemptions. And th- those who were in favor, uh, people like Maris and Mark Bonkowitz, uh, who were in favor of repealing the obscenity exemptions, they were all real people with real lives, real backgrounds, real expertise, mm-hmm. teachers and parents and grandmothers. And and you know who the one person who showed up to, to oppose it in Nebraska mm-hmm. was a paid lobbyist, mm-hmm. a second year law school student 
snarky little guy who came in and who got thrown this assignment and yeah, said, just, go yeah. and do this. Basically, I'm being paid to be here. And right. I have never seen such a condescending uh, attitude in all my life mm-hmm. when he came in and just like, okay, well, obviously I have to be here and address this because this is stupid. But I'm a paid lobbyist and I'm here to tell everybody how <laughs> right. this is. Oh, by the way, he's also a clerk mm-hmm. at some law office. I thought, this is really pathetic. Mm-hmm. But... It will be very telling if it gets defeated. Yeah. It will be very telling. Because it's still not been voted on. Right. It hasn't been voted on. Of all of the efforts to overturn obscenity exemptions that we're following, the one in Nebraska seems to have the best chance at being the first one to fall. Yeah. And that's because Nebraska is a unicameral government. They only have a Senate. Mm-hmm. So it only has one house to clear. Right. So, so moving on to Maris. Mm-hmm talking about the obscenities that are in the sex ed curriculum in the mm-hmm. schools because she was an educator and a counselor. I mean, she's seen this stuff. She she actually bought the state yeah, she, curriculum yeah, so for she it, went Flash. She, she bought a, a curriculum called Flash, which mm-hmm. is Family Life and Sexual Health, mm-hmm. published by a company out of Seattle. Should be a red flag right there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't throw everybody under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying there, there, there are good people in Seattle. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of wickedness comes out of yeah. the Northwest as yeah. well. So but Maris is such a good example of someone who she just took it upon herself to educate herself. Yeah. And she spent hundreds of hours researching this stuff so that she was and still is the expert. Mm-hmm. And she goes in then and and you have to. If you're going to get engaged, you can't just scream at at legislators. You have got to educate yourself and become a resource for them Mm -hmm. and to go in and gently lead them. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are people who are good at doing that and people who just aren't. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us, we just tend to scream at them Mm -hmm. because we expect them to understand these things. But And it's okay to scream at them when they know better, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's okay. But as we were listening through to Maris's comments and we started having discussions that led us to uh, examples that we've pulled from how should we then live? Mm-hmm. And if, if those of you who are listening that are not familiar with the works of Dr. Francis Schaeffer, one of the most profound uh, philosophers and pastors of the 20th century, mm-hmm. I think. And if you've read, uh, if you read the companion book to Inwood Drive, towards the end of the book, um, I tell a story about being confronted by a reporter, and in that story, I refer to one of the best teachers that I ever had in high school, Tom Cashin, and one of the best things that he did for me was number one, he taught me critical thinking, and number two, he introduced me to the films of. Dr. Francis Schaeffer, specifically the 10-part How Should We Then Live series. And it is now available on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. So if you have not watched How Should We Then Live, go and find it (laughs) if you're on Prime and watch it. And there's it was based on a book. Right. And so and I just got to say the first episode, because I was never introduced. I wasn't introduced to Francis Schaeffer until you actually introduced me to him Mm -hmm. several years ago. And... The the whole first episode of the Roman, the Roman Empire Age, yeah. and how it crumbled. 
mm-hmm. from the inside out because of the the perversion that they had. And we you can see like you can literally line it up and, you know, because there's a flow to history and culture and what they think will determine how they act. And the book is entitled, How Should We Then Live? The Rise and Decline of Western Thought and Culture. Mm-hmm. And it was written in, I think, the early 80s. I do, I think 84. And, uh, and, and he died just a few years after they did this film. Um, but, and he, Francis Schaeffer wrote uh, well over a dozen books. He's a fantastic writer. But we've alluded to this in past podcasts where we were talking about how music lyrics in particular reflect culture Mm -hmm. and And films and films, Mm -hmm. how art is a reflection of culture. And you just, it is so poignant to today, especially episode one of how should we then live Mm -hmm. the Roman age? It is us. Yeah. It really is us right now. So, well, another thing on Amazon, if you're also an Amazon prime subscriber and we have our first documentary under our filmmaking ministry fearless features is on amazon it's called inwood drive if you guys Mm -hmm. have seen it or watched it we knew making the film that it was going to be very polarizing and it's interesting to watch numbers come in because we can only explain this as the lord at work we mark and amber have done nothing to advertise this film to get it i mean other than putting it on a platform for people to see we've done nothing and just this month alone here, um, we're o- well over 8,000 people have watched it just in the month of March. And it's been this sudden explosion, too. Right. We, we just, we have no explanation because I think the film went up, what, in October? Did it finally uh, get on? Or I think, I think maybe it was. No, early November? I don't, I don't remember. And, and, and the reason why we haven't done any advertising is because, frankly, we barely managed to get the film finished. Yeah. You know, we, we had, we had a lot of supporters, but we also had a lot of our own personal finances mm-hmm. invested into it. And it was it was just for us to get it done was all that we could hope for. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't raise any more funds for marketing. And so we said, we're, we're just going to put it out there. And we gave it over to the Lord again, said, Lord, what else can we do? And that's why we started the podcast was mm-hmm. to start talking about it. Yeah. But we have it. We have zero explanation. We have one explanation for this sudden explosion in viewers, and it is the Lord. Yeah, because it's had nothing to do with us. Well, and it's really interesting because you either have five star reviews mm-hmm. or one star reviews, and the one star reviews are right now starting to outweigh the five star reviews, which is fine. I mean, at least at least there are people who supposedly are are watching it. You know, they throw out their usual, but but now you've got people who you can tell are just being very convicted. Mm-hmm. from from the very beginning because you know we've got now we've got a, a reviewer on there who likes her aborted babies with butter mm. and you know there there's a real heart issue there is there is a stirring going on yeah. that you know whoever the lord is reaching with this film you know praise the lord i hope that they can see and they are convicted and ask the lord for forgiveness mm-hmm. because that's 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 what ultimately matters but you know, so if you guys are on Amazon and you have watched and would drive, if you could please go and help us out and leave leave a good review. Yeah, I mean, give, there's give us at the very least give it a rating. Yeah, because 
That's this how these is, things show up in their algorithm. Mm-hmm. The, and this is how cancel culture works. First, oh, yeah. they, they come after you and they, you know, they, they flood you with nasty reviews. Mm-hmm. And then they use that as their leverage to go to put the pressure on a corporation like Amazon. <laughs> yeah, to who, get it pulled down. In case you hadn't noticed, has not been uh, a stalwart of free speech lately. Right. Right. Well, and if, if people don't like Inwood Drive, they're really not going to like the mind polluters that oh, we're yeah. done with it. So, <laughs> so we'll get back to the mind polluters. So if, if you guys want, you can help us out in our ministry. First of all, pray. Mm-hmm. Pray for us in our ministry. I mean, it's a it's a continual attack. Mm-hmm. Um, but second of all, if you can help by just taking two minutes and leaving a review for Inwood mm-hmm. Drive on Amazon Prime. We would really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And also on the IMDb, if you're an IMDb user, Internet Movie Database, you mm-hmm. can also leave reviews there. And we have a couple of nasty reviews on the IMDb. Oh, on I the miss IMDb. those. Oh, well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Red badge of courage. I'll take it. So let's get back to the mind polluters because we've got more to talk about. So now let's listen in with our conversation with Maris Bentley with Nebraskans for Founders Values. My name is Maris Bentley. Um, I'm from Plattsmouth, Nebraska, and I'm on the board of Nebraskans for Founders Values and have been for I don't know how many years, uh, almost from the beginning. So um, I am a retired uh, school teacher and K through 12 counselor. And I'm a grandmother uh, of 11 grandchildren, um, ranging in age from one to 12. When I retired, um, I retired early. And um, our our Lord had plans for me. I thought I was just gonna be a cookie baking, babysitting grandma, right? And then I meet this man named Mark Bonkowitz. And because there's, uh, some effort in Omaha, which is where I was living at the time, um, to bring more of the LGBT um, agenda into our city. And so um, through that effort, uh, we became aware of what Omaha Public Schools was gonna be doing, which was um, updating their human growth and development. And I'd already begun to hear lots of stuff about, and doing my own research about what is this comprehensive sex education that I'm hearing about that's many schools are adopting. And so I, I of course, want to get involved too with, okay, let's find out, see what this is about. And um, so we began that process. And um, as the retired teacher, the retired educator in the group, when we found out from Omaha Public Schools uh, what their initial curriculum was going to be, it was, um, at that time, it was uh, FLASH, which stands for Family Life and Sexual Health out of Seattle. And I was able to purchase it. So I purchased it and had it come to my home. And that was my first real introduction to comprehensive sex education, and I was horrified. I, I could not sleep that first night when I started looking through this material. I was so shocked. It's not what we had, what I had in school, and my generation had in school, which was kind of the puberty talk, right? Here, and the, the girls and the boys are separated, and you know, you learn about your, what's going on with your own body, right? And, um, and that was basically it, you know? Um, so th- this is not that at all. That's what I was so shocked by. I could not believe the content of it. It was mind boggling. And so as I'm going through this material, 
And I'm, you know, wow, it's just, you know, I kept coming back to where is this coming from? Who would, who in their right mind, and I emphasize that in their right mind, would think that this would be good content for children? Um, you know, we just heard in our hearing that we were part of, or tried to be part of, Senator McKinney say, well, you know, when he was in school and he's, He's a younger generation than I am, and apparently it still wasn't that bad for him either, right? Um, and I just wanted to tell him that, you know? I just wanted to say, wow, you just need to look at the content of this. You are thinking of what you experienced. This is totally different. This is, and just like with this book that I had hoped to talk to the, our committee about, um, called It's Perfectly Normal, this is actually criminally obscene material. It is. And anybody that would disagree with that, I would question them. How could they, how could they think this would be okay to show to a 10-year-old? Because that's, the book is labeled for 10 and above. We're talking fourth graders in elementary school, and it's very, very graphic. So, so that's what this is all about too. It's not, it's the content, it's the, the words, it's the fact that children are being um, asked and given this idea that there's uh, three types of sexual activity, uh, oral, anal, and vaginal. I sure didn't learn about that when I was in, not even in high school, frankly. So, um, and that's just regularly, uh, that phrase is used repeatedly in, in all this material, not just flash, but all these other ones that I've looked at too, that the, that's the terminology used. That, and so children are given, um, and remember, these are children. We're not talking about adults. We're talking about children being exposed to uh, this information. We also heard the question, um, well, you know, this is going, this is reality. This is what's going on in the world, so shouldn't they be learning about it at school? And I'm thinking, no. Why would anybody think that that's okay, right? And we heard a lot of information, and I saw it myself as a counselor in a school district. I have one particular scenario I can talk about of, you know, that's what they do when they're grooming somebody. They give them this kind of sexually explicit information to break down their natural defenses. Because children, they don't, this is foreign to them. What is this? It's confusing, you know? And no, I don't believe the idea that all young people now are exposed to this. That's not true. My grandkids aren't, you know? Are there young people exposed to this? Yes. But that's no reason to expose it to everybody else. We, we should be actually taking the other stance of, we need to help these children that are being exposed to this for however that's occurring, if it's occurring in the home or because parents are just letting their kids have technology without, <clears throat> without restrictions, right? We should be helping that instead of just saying, okay, well, some kids <clears throat> are gonna be exposed to this, so we're just gonna let everybody see it. That's, that's ludicrous. That's irrational, that's horrible thinking, so. So you were a counselor in the school, and you've, you've seen kids come in who are confused. Mm -hmm. How do they react? What's, what's the posture, the byline? How do you know when a child is extremely uncomfortable by, by these things? 
Oh, well, you could just tell it their, their body language, their, their facial expressions, they're, they're confused, they don't know how to react to this kind of information. Um, they, they don't know how to process it. Their brains are not ready for that. And that's what floors me about this whole thing too, is educators of all people are, um, we, we're supposed to know about child development. We know that things are not appropriate at these younger ages that maybe you can expose an adult to, even though I would argue that it's not appropriate for adults either, frankly, and it's part of our moral decline as a country and as a people. But um, yeah, I mean, I would like to, if I could have testified at length, frankly, um, about the latency period, which is from, uh, it's about all the elementary years, from about when they enter kindergarten till puberty. They that age, the girls want to be with the girls, the boys want to be with the boys, you know, and they kind of are even suspicious of each other. Ah, you don't want to, you know, we don't want the girls coming to our party and stuff, you know, the boys have their clubhouse, the girls have, you know, and that's normal, that's natural. And to introduce this kind of material at that age is, frankly, it's child abuse. Their brains are not ready for it. They're, you know, they, again, I mentioned that they, it's so confusing and harmful and they can't process it. And they're embarrassed. Even my, I have a daughter who's 38 now and I've talked to her and shown her some of this and she is beyond horrified. By the way, she's homeschooling. <laughs> and now you know why. Yes, exactly. Um, and she has said to me, mom, if this would have been brought up in my high school class, I would have been so embarrassed. That's the normal reaction, right? That's and yet we're trying to beat out the normal reaction to this kind of information, this kind of sometimes even sexual perversity and pretend like everything is good and normal and we just have to give them all this information at earlier and earlier ages because, you know, for heaven's sake, that way we'll help reduce teen pregnancy and STDs. Well, it's a big fat lie. The statistics don't show that. And I don't care how often, because that's what their whole mantra is. Oh, this is age, they'll say age appropriate. And I think, according to who? Alfred Kinsey, you know? It's age appropriate and it's science and evidence-based. And I, again, I would say, let's look at this science because not all science is worthy of the name, right? It looks, you have to, and I always tried to educate, as an educator, um, when I taught high school level, I actually taught usually courses in psychology, right, at the high school level. And one segment I had, which I thought was very good to teach, right, and it, it's part of the psychology curriculum, was how do you understand research? How do you understand science? How do you know, just because something's presented to you as, oh, here's what the science shows, right? Let's look at this science. How was it conducted, right? How big was the sample? Was it replicated? You know, all these things that a lot of people should know, but they don't anymore. They just accept willy-nilly that, that this science, oh, the science, you heard that today in the committee. Oh, well, you know, as long as it's science-based, it's gonna be good. Mm, I don't think so. We have a lot of scientists who are running around saying, a man can magically become a woman. Okay, something wrong with that scenario, right? You're not, that person, something's wrong here. <laughs> That's not reality, let's start. Let's start from reality here. For quite a few years, I was a K through 12. So I did all the, I was small districts in rural Nebraska and I was the only school counselor. 
Um, and there was a so, such value to it too, because I could be, I'd be working with the the juniors and seniors and their college prep, and you know, got to do take these tests, and you know, we got to get your transcripts and all that stuff. And then I, if I get a little tired of that, I could go down and get a hug from the kindergartners, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it was it was a great. But uh, when I my last six years of teaching, I taught uh, middle school at Christ the King in Omaha, and I taught religion. So I was in um, rural central Nebraska, but I even there, um, I saw uh, the shift, you know, things changing. Um, some ways I, I don't even know how to label it or put a finger on it, because it, it encompassed a, a lot of areas, not just the content of what was being taught at, through K through 12 education, that's part of it, because what I saw and again, maybe, I don't know, it was unique to my schools I was in. I saw less emphasis on academics. I, re I really did. And it's like we're trying to be all things to all people, right? And so if they could, they were adding all these other extra um, content areas. Um, I'm trying to think of an example, but because in the smaller districts that that I was in, you they could they couldn't do a lot of that. I just remember like some of the sports they were adding, like golf and and we're like a small. We, okay, we're going to build a swimming pool pretty soon here and try to provide swimming, and it was to I guess a way to label it is the schools were trying to take over more and more of the family functions. I really that's really the gist of it, and providing you know. Kids can be at, in their school building now uh, most of the day, and all they do is go home to sleep, pr practically. And when, when are they going to change that and add, you know, sleeping bunks and all that to our schools? Because a lot feeding them breakfast now, which at, when I was in school, that was unheard of, right? I mean, nobody would even thought of that. But they do it with this, uh, I think there's good intentions there, right? Well, we need to help these families. We have kids coming to school that are hungry, right? Are we helping families by doing that? By taking the responsibility away from the parents for providing for their own children, for being the, the support and the guidance of their own children, for educating them in all these realms? We're not, well, then we wonder why we have such a, uh, the family unit being so broken down and the school taking over more and more, but that's, that's not what school systems are supposed to be about. It isn't, and so that was a big change I saw. And so I think the sex education aspect fits into that whole mentality, because I heard that repeatedly, you know, when I've talked to educators who support all this. Well, the parents aren't doing it, so we, we, we have to provide this. And my response is, well, then you might as well have the dirty old man in the park providing it, because a teacher still is not a family member. They are still ultimately a stranger to that child. You know, they might have a, a good kind of relationship and the child might like their teacher, right? Which is great, you want that. But they still are not the parent. They're still not a family member. And for that teacher to be introducing this kind of content, um, it's just not good. It's not good, it's not helpful to the child, it's not good for the family, for these teachers to take over these roles that should be done by the parents. And I remember even asking, uh, an Omaha administrator, well then, why don't we use our res resources to help parents then, to be able to do this with their own children, 
And plus they would also be passing on their family beliefs and values. Because that's another big fat lie that the school systems use, which is, well, this is, we're, we're doing this just value neutral. No, you're not. If you're teaching them all about oral, anal, and vaginal sex, I'm sorry, that's not value neutral. Because there are plenty of us who uh, are opposed to that. Um, and, and it conflicts with our values. I find it interesting, the mindset that says, well, this is what's going on. Shouldn't we teach it to the students? Mm. And I, in listening to that, I made a couple notes. I said, well, what about drugs? Right. I mean, they're, they're going to be exposed to drugs. Why don't we just teach the kindergartners how to safely inject heroin, mm. get it out of the way. Right. Um, here's an interesting one. How about guns and fighting skills? Right. Because if, if we really live in such a violent world, right, then why don't we teach them how to defend themselves against these uh, tyrannical police that are supposedly running around killing people mm -hmm. just at random, right. right? See, this is the problem when you have a, a worldview that is built on mankind. It's called humanism. You have this ever-shifting ever-changing absolute you have no absolute except the absolute of the moment it's relativism and you know we've talked about this over and over and over again but if you're going to have these supposed absolutes well then let's be consistent about mm -hmm. it but humanists can't be consistent about it because they are building their worldview constantly over and over on the finiteness of man mm -hmm. and they don't have an absolute by which to judge anything. Therefore the state is God and their opinions are what shapes the state. And that's why that's the world that we're living in now. And I, I, I made a note here too, that as Francis Schaeffer talks about that, any authoritarian regime, any authoritarian state cannot tolerate any worldview that sees a higher authority than the state. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're starting to see the talons really come out and people come after the Christians yeah. for no other reason than the fact that you're a Christian because you hold the state accountable to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And if you want to see what their model is, just look at China. You you can't you you're not allowed to question anything. That's what this whole cancel culture is, because when we say I'll debate you, you know, meet me on the field of ideas, they don't want to debate because they always lose mm -hmm. because they don't have a truth. They don't have fundamentals to rest on. They only have their own finiteness and and they're completely confused based on the fact that they don't understand even basic science or biology. Well, they have no value system strong enough to bear the strains of life, mm -hmm. either individually or politically. Right. Because they're, con they're constantly, constantly remaking their absolutes. Mm -hmm. yep. Well, that was yesterday, but today my absolute is this. It's, yeah. it's like the person who keeps saying that they're going to diet and then they go and eat a piece of cake and say, well, that was, uh, I'll start it tomorrow. Yeah. Well, you keep changing your absolutes. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely going to start now after I eat this cookie. Right? <laughs> Guilty as <laughs> that's, charged. That's, a, that's kind of a, a silly example of ever-shifting absolutes. Yeah. You, you never start 
And when you do start and then you violate it, mm-hmm. you've lied to yourself. Yeah. You've violated your own absolutes. So you redraw the boundaries. Mm-hmm. That's and what it, we're doing as a culture now. Oh, yeah. Well, you guys, thank you for sticking around to the end. We appreciate you joining us on this journey. And you can find all the archives to this show by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. And you can check out our latest film, Inwood Drive. And if you would be so kind as to leave us a review on Amazon, we would really appreciate it. And you can also learn more about our documentary film, our new one, The Mind Polluters. Um, You can also help us and join us, become a partner of the ministry, the filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features. And you can give your support, either one time or monthly donation. It would be a great force multiplier to get the truth out and make more people aware of the very things that we're talking about with the sexualization of our children. Our children are a target and they have nowhere to go anymore that is safe. Thank you again for joining us. We appreciate you listening. Have a wonderfully blessed day.